Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm welcoming back beautiful Kath Elliott. Kath is the alcohol mindset coach. She's a certified naked mind coach. She's She's been on the podcast once before. The reason I'm getting you on today is because Breast Cancer Awareness Month is coming up and we wanted to talk, we, we sort of talked about this a while ago, about getting you back on to talk about the link between breast cancer and alcohol. So welcome back, Kath. It's so good to have you back. <gasps> Great to be back, Danny. I know I can't believe it's probably nearly a year since our last discussion on the body yeah yeah it would have been about that and I got a great response from that podcast episode your journey with breast cancer was really touching it touched a lot of people who were going through it themselves I remember I reached out to you because I found a lump on my breast and remember that and I was like I found a lump and you know yeah I do remember that absolutely which was fine by the way everyone listening was was fine it's a subject close to our hearts quite literally especially for women and men. Yeah, tell me a bit about the kind of research that you've done around the link between, and I'm, I, I worry sometimes, I don't want to scare people. And I've, I've got like my own sister, she's had her own breast cancer journey. She's 11 years cancer-free. It was like last week and she's still drinking. And, I, you know, I don't want to scare her or scare anybody. So I don't know how we're going to balance this out, but <laughs> let's just, yeah, let's just no, talk about it, be honest. Absolutely. And I I really don't want to scare anyone either. I think it's really more just about being 
informed and educated about the information and research that's out there. Uh, And I think for me that was one of the big shocks when I started to do some of my own investigation was that I was, I guess, I was disappointed that I didn't know more about the links between alcohol consumption and breast cancer, the direct links, and that I hadn't really seen many public health-facing campaigns specifically on this issue. I was surprised. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as with all research, there's differing statistics that come out. Uh, And I think, you know, what I'll talk about today is really, I guess, the, the, the research that I've done and what I've uncovered. And I think it's just important that as with every, everything in our health, it's important to be in, informed. And obviously, uh, when I was given my breast cancer diagnosis, I intuitively had this deep kind of knowing that the risk factor of my drinking could potentially have contributed to my breast cancer diagnosis. I don't know that 100%, but it felt empowering for me that there are um, there are lifestyle factors that we have control over that reduce our breast cancer risk. And alcohol consumption is one of them. You know, diet is another, and so is exercise. And so I just think it's really important that we bring alcohol into the conversation that um, I think I think the media has confused people about the role that alcohol plays in health and in breast cancer. I think there's been a lot of mixed messaging around. And so, yeah, I'm really, I guess I'm really excited just to have this opportunity to talk about, A, my own experience and just to, you know, I'm not going to bring out a huge number of statistics, but I just think it's important that we all know that it's low to moderate levels of drinking that increases our overall breast cancer risk. And by low to moderate levels of drinking, I'm talking about one drink per day. Uh, So seven drinks per week uh, regularly increases our risk by, you know, up to 14 or 15% overall risk, which which is big. Yeah, I was just been listening and I just posted today about that amazing Huberman podcast, which has just come out about the effects on alcohol and our health. So it's really quite timely that you're on talking about this, but where he says that chronic drinking, which isn't actually what we would imagine to be like, like a chronic, like someone who's an alcoholic and drinking every day. Chronic drinking is just someone that's drinking maybe two drinks a day or you know, three or four on a Friday and then backing it up again on a Saturday regularly. It's the kind of the regularity is classed as chronic drinking. And anyone who falls under that category of a chronic drinker really um, puts themselves at risk to a myriad of health issues, gut issues, liver issues, brain issues, like breast cancer, all, all sorts of cancers. It's quite remarkable. Like that podcast, I would say to anyone listening, if you haven't heard it, Go on to the Huberman, what's it called? The Huberman Lab? The Huberman Lab, yeah. Andrew oh, Huberman. Yeah. It was amazing brilliant. podcast on all oh. things health. You know, he's just yeah. incredible. I, I I love it. And yes, you're right. That podcast was just so informative about this. And this is as a society, we've got a long way to go because 
our idea of chronic drinking is quite different to what he talks about in this in this podcast in that you know having one to two drinks per day uh, can have quite severe effects on on our health many many areas of our health um, and that to me was yeah I guess really really interesting and surprising yeah so you can correct me if I'm wrong but here is my understanding when we drink alcohol our cortisol spikes that's our stress hormone spikes which then causes our estrogen to spike is that correct? And then yes. it's the excess estrogen that can cause breast cancer. Is that yeah, there are, you know, obviously a few ways that um, alcohol damages cells at, that can lead to uh, cancer. But with breast cancer, of course, circulating estrogen is increased when we're drinking alcohol. And there are, you know, most, a large number of breast cancers are driven by increased estrogen growth so that's obviously where there can be a direct link between you know alcohol actually raising that circulating estrogen which could potentially lead to lead to breast cancer and for me i had you know very high levels of of estrogen growth in my breast cancer so you know that was i think it was about i think my levels were around 98 to 99% so when I found out about that link, I was like, mm, that's extremely interesting given my, you know, my binge drinking history. Uh, mm. It sort of felt like, yeah, it, it looks like there was a lot of excess estrogen or circulating estrogen probably created through my, through my drinking that potentially could have contributed to that, to that growth. Um, and, look, I think the other thing that's really important to mention here is that, you know, alcohol really impacts the the ability of our immune system to perform um you know p- perform its, its its normal tasks and so when we're drinking as well our immune system is not um working to its optimum uh generally we all of us will have cancer cells that are you know produced during our lifetime and 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 we won't know anything about that because our immune system uh works so efficiently and does what it needs to do but when we're drinking it often isn't working as well as it should yeah absolutely yeah because it affects everything the body's working so hard and as we've found out you know we're finding out through people like Huberman and even I had an amazing naturopath Jules Galloway on my podcast just recently talking about the gut health link between how the alcohol diminishes our gut health and if our gut health isn't right the whole system's not right and in in every way you know in for our mental health for our organs, for everything, absolutely smashes your gut health and your gut flora. I, I, I know Huberman talked about that as well, which I think, you know, mm. is really interesting given that, you know, there's so much research and we've heard about, you know, the gut being the second brain and mm. that, you know, alcohol obviously destroys both, you know, good and bad bacteria in our, in our gut. And so, yeah, again, this is another... Uh, you know, another really important kind of, you know, health system in our body that gets disrupted through alcohol use. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't know, I can't remember if we spoke about this on our last podcast. So (laughs) forgive me if I'm repeating and people listening, forgive me if I'm repeating, but what I find really, a really important thing to talk about too, is the estrogen spikes when we get around, you know, 40 or the, the perimenopause time. 
And I was suffering from some mental health stuff. I just felt really down and really flat. I could not pull myself out of it. This was going on for quite a few weeks. So it got to a point where I was like, I'm not, I'm not okay. Like I need to go and see someone. So I went and saw, we've got an amazing functional medicine doctor here in Ocean Shores. He's a GP, but he's also studied nutrition and environmental medicine. Anyway, I went and saw him. I'm like, oh my God, something's wrong with my head. I don't know what's wrong with me. I probably need to go on antidepressants or something, and which I, I'm not a huge, you know, I'm, that's not something I imagine for myself, but I was just so scared of how I was feeling. Anyway, and he sat me down. He's like, no, no, come on, we'll sit down, let's have a try. chat about what's going on and I was with him for about an hour and a half and he talked we talked about everything like how many times a day I poop and you know my sleep and everything and basically he said I had to do some tests but my estrogen was super high like really high and so there's this whole link between like even if you're not pooping your body's not dumping estrogen he said to me there's so many women in their 40s that are going on antidepressants because of this spike in estrogen and the lower of the progesterone or getting breast cancer because their estrogen is way too high. And a lot of women don't even know. And he said, so some of the signs would be like, you know, getting, I, I was noticing I was getting like thighs were getting kind of quite fatty. He said, that's a sign really sore boobs getting around to the time, like really sore. And anyway, so he got me we got it down. So it did a thing called a Dutch test, which is like a wee test that you do. I've yeah. done a Dutch test before. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. anyway, within weeks, like he got it back to normal and things like uh, he had me on broccoli extract. Mm. So none of this, of course, none of this is for you to go and go, I'll go get some broccoli extract and I'll be fine. If you're noticing any, any signs, I would say go to a, you know, a really good, like a functional medicine doctor, which costs a fucking bomb, but they're worth it because they're not just trying to band-aid the situation. They're trying to get to the bottom of it and then work on it. But so, right. You know, what I'm getting at is that women getting around their forties, we're at a higher risk and then we're putting alcohol on top of it. Mm. It's a recipe for. It absolutely mm. is. And it's really interesting because we would, we know that there has been some recent research that's come out that talks to the fact that women in that age group between sort of, you know, 40 and 65 are increasing their drinking. And so they're also at the highest risk of breast cancer as well. So we've got this very vulnerable age group mm. of you know, women going through you know, menopause, perimenopause, so this is having an impact on their estrogen uh, and women who are also drinking more uh, and increasing their binge drinking as well, which, yeah, I guess it's kind of a bit of a melting pot, isn't it? And I I guess one of the questions um, that I have is why we're not seeing more in the media around this issue in terms of uh, you know, a really, I guess, a public health campaign around, you know, breast cancer and alcohol consumption and how important it is at this point of time in our lives to really start to look at, you know, this lifestyle factor that can really, I guess, we can change uh, that can help contribute to, you know, uh, longevity and, and, and helping our overall health and lifestyle. Do you think if you had known this information, would that have curbed your drinking before you'd stopped drinking, before you got breast cancer? Would Do you think if you had have had this information, it would have changed how you drank? Ah, it's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, potentially not. Potentially not. I think there was a bit of, 
the person that I was, I think there was a bit of this, you know, it's not, it, it, none of these things are ever going to happen to me. Mm. <laughs> and I, I never saw myself as the, the person who was going to have breast cancer in their life because I saw myself as a pretty fit, active, healthy person. But, of course, my relationship with alcohol was totally um, out of balance. And I guess all I can do is just talk from experience. And if anyone out there is listening to this and they know that they have a, a relationship with alcohol that is not in balance, that there is an opportunity to start to do some work on that and to change it. Um, we can do it at any point in time in our life. It doesn't matter whether we're in our 20s or we're in our 70s. Any time that we feel like we're ready to change, it, it's going to have a, a, a massively positive impact um, mm. on our overall health. Um, if, if someone was a heavy drinker or a chronic drinker mm. and they decided, okay, no, I, I, I will, you know, they'll hear this and, and heard the human podcast and think, no, um, that's it, I'm stopping. Just by stopping, how much does that bring back your risk factor of developing something like breast cancer? Yeah, so I, I don't know the the statistics on that because it's really individual depending on your, you know, your I guess your history of drinking and also, uh, you know, whether there's any genetic kind of links as well um, with, with breast cancer. But basically once we stop drinking, every drink that we choose not to have reduces our overall risk. So uh, even though potentially the drinking that we've done in in the past may have already done some damage the fact that we choose to take alcohol away then starts to reduce our overall risk moving forward um, and that is really the figures that I'm aware of is that you know every every drink per day you know decreases the risk by um, you know about seven between seven and ten percent which is which is you know which are pretty um, compelling figures really Mm, yeah, I think if someone was going to go at quitting alcohol from a health perspective to better their health, health, there's, I think, you know, that's a great start, like thinking, okay, well, I want to diminish my risk of breast, like breast cancer or other cancers. I want to fix my gut health and really making that your mission, like making that a kind of like, all right, I'm going to become really, really healthy. Here's the new me and make that your hobby. It like make it a thing like, okay, I'm really going to work on this. Like at the moment, since doing the podcast interview with Jules Galloway, I'm like, right, I'm going to heal my gut. I need to heal this. I need to work on this. And so it's given me that extra kind of oomph into going a step further in my own recovery journey of, okay, now I'm going to heal this part of doing, doing a lot of work on the emotional and spiritual. And now I want to actually work on healing myself from any damage that may have been done. And not just from alcohol, it's from all food choices and things like that, stress. Would you mm. have called yourself a stressful? I'm just trying to get a, an idea of you before the breast cancer mm. um, diagnosis. Were you a st particularly stressed out type of person? Not on the outside, <clears throat> no. Um, I, I would describe myself as a very kind of overall a glass half full type of person, mm. but uh the work that I've done on myself since I've stopped I've really been able to see that in the 10 year 
the 10 years leading up to my breast cancer diagnosis, I did have quite a lot of stresses that were impacting my life. Some, you know, financial stresses, relationship stresses. Uh, you know, one of my children had a, a diagnosis of, of, um, of autism spectrum disorder, which I found very challenging. Uh, and so, you know, all of these things did create quite a bit of stress. And my husband and I uh, were going through difficult times in our relationship. We did a lot of binge drinking together over that time. And that used to create a lot of kind of aggro in our relationship as well. So I think I was constantly living with very high cortisol cortisol levels. I can feel the difference now. You know, the baseline version of me now compared with the baseline version of me that existed during that period, it's just completely different. The other thing that I really notice uh, was that I had this constant negative voice in my head that was really berating me, that was telling me that I you know, wasn't good enough, that I had to exercise, that my drinking really needed to become under control. Um, and so it was kind of, you know, those things where I can say I actually was quite stressed, um, but I thought I was managing it. And I was also this person who was very self-sufficient. So I I'll deal with it. You know, I can deal with it. I'm not going to um, really talk to many people about what's going on because, you know, I've got this. When I think I was repressing, repressing a lot of stress uh, and I was drinking a lot more, binging a lot more at home as well. Uh, And I think that was all contributing at a cellular level a recipe inside myself that was was really not very healthy and not it, yeah now I look back I can feel that that wasn't a great period and it was 10 years really 10 mm. years of my life have you read when the body says no by Dr Gabor Mate yeah. yeah yeah and his links between those sort of personality traits in which you're describing that links like just like that with with breast cancer as well yeah absolutely and I so that's why intuitively I strongly believe that there's a lot of kind of yeah emotional aspects to you know my my breast cancer diagnosis that I needed to do a heap of work on um, as I was healing through the process as well you know alcohol was a small part of that as were just you know the way that I uh my approach to myself my relationship with myself and that's you know where I've done the deepest work Mm. this you know this full acceptance and exploration more of the dark and the shadow side and the people pleaser as well there was this people pleaser who was yeah constantly um trying to make others feel better and trying to solve others problems Mm. um and yeah, I've had to do a lot of work on that side of myself as well, because that again, there was all this suppression and repression and not really focusing in on on me. Yeah, yeah, which is such a, a huge part of this journey of getting to know yourself and knowing when the, the people please are showing up or these different coping strategies that we've probably had since childhood. <laughs> are showing up and they cause us to be sick. And eventually the body says, no, the body is sending us signals all the time. And, you know, it it, it will get to a point where it says no more, you have to change. And that is what 
you know, when the body is sending you the signals, when the body is saying no, if if it is saying no, and it doesn't just have to be in breast cancer, it doesn't have to show up in a, in a big way, but if you can grab it before then and listen to the body, it's really, you can make it an empowering thing rather than a, a decision made out of fear to recognize, okay, the, my body's sending me signals. This is great. This is a great opportunity for me to, to change what I'm doing because what I'm doing isn't working and the body's not liking it. Mm. And wow, what a great thing I can do for myself because you don't want to make any decision out of fear. You don't want to hear this podcast and go, fuck, I don't want to get breast cancer and do it from a fear perspective, but from a loving place of, you know, I, I want to love myself more and I want to nurture and, and cherish mm. my beautiful body and treat it in a way that is respectful. And yeah, I, I love that approach, you know, and I think um, that is part of this whole conversation, you know, this broader conversation around our use of alcohol. You know, this isn't a uh, an opportunity to say, you know, any any drink you have is going to cause you damage. It's an opportunity to look at the role that alcohol plays and how how can we improve our improve our over, overall health by by changing that if we need to by bringing in changes and um you know for me i never thought a lifestyle without alcohol would ever be possible uh you know 10 years ago and you know three over 3 years ago since you know since i've stopped drinking or chosen an alcohol free lifestyle i'm just you know constantly in awe uh i guess about the you know, expansion that's possible in my life because I've chosen to take alcohol out, the ripple effect that it's had, but also just how I feel in myself. It's just a, um, it, it's been such a complete transformation. You know, there's just a more, more ease um, in my own skin and that feels so good. I'm not, uh, you know, like there was just this constant sort of, yeah, not feeling comfortable. And now um, I, I feel so much more comfortable and I like just to be, be with myself. I didn't like that before. You know, I, I take a lot of opportunity now to really nurture that relationship with myself, which you know, maybe walking on my own out in, out in nature, maybe just be sitting and being quiet in the morning um, when my family hasn't woken up uh, to just to ponder, to think, to be, uh, I guess it's a practice of self-compassion really, um, which I did not really understand or have in my life beforehand. And now this is the most important thing. It starts with self-compassion and then from there there's this really beautiful opportunity to, I, I think, for me to uh, continue to make the choices for me that that, that feel that feel good and feel right and um, that, you know, the, I guess the other thing that breast cancer, the diagnosis really taught me was that, you know, we when we're living and when we're in life, sometimes we, we do really take it for granted and that um, when I had this opportunity uh, to really question, you know, how long am I going to be here on this planet? Like, what do I want to, my legacy to be? What am I doing that I'm not really happy about? I got to really get into all the nitty gritty of that, which was actually such a gift. 
So, you know, I think I'd been a bit of a passenger in a way. I'd just been, you know, sitting back and going, yeah, you know what, drinking, um, not making active choices about who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go and what my, I guess, my real values in life were because drinking was really undermining a lot of the values that I were underneath. And so now those, you know, I've done work on those and they've come to the come to the surface. And so I feel, you know, I feel a much more aligned sort of mm. lifestyle now. As you would too, Danny. You I mean you know this is what happens when we when we do this this work on our on ourselves. Yeah, where you said earlier that you're, you know, you're comfortable in your own skin. And I know that people early on don't feel comfortable in their own skin. At the start of sobriety, you do not feel comfortable in your own skin. And you certainly don't feel comfortable in your own skin either when you're waking up feeling the anxiety and, you know, when it's becoming too much. How long did it take you to start to get comfortable in your own skin and to get used to that life without alcohol and having that crutch of alcohol? Mm. I think I was in a really unique set of circumstances because I stopped drinking six weeks before the cancer diagnosis. So it wasn't very long. And then I had the cancer diagnosis, which initially I did really question whether I should be, take, you know, I really should continue down the alcohol free sort of path. I was like, you know, is this the time to be doing that when I've got this massive challenge to deal with? And then we had COVID that came to Australia. So my life was not normal for many years over this period, two or three years. But I think you're so right. You are not comfortable initially. It is really uncomfortable. And this is, you know, this is the um, the bit that's really hard initially for people is that uh, it is so uncomfortable going out into social situations. There's so much messaging uh, coming from all areas of society, whether it's our family, our friends, advertising, you know, promoting drinking. And when we're first taking those kind of nervous steps into this new lifestyle, it it is it is it's like you're a toddler with your toddler legs, and you can't like, oh my gosh, I, I really don't know. Uh, I'm just going to take one step at a time. So I think for me, breast cancer actually in a way helped me get the strength probably more quickly than I than I would have because I was so uncomfortable in what I was dealing with in my health that I very quickly made the decision that being alcohol-free was actually going to be the best way I could support my health um, to, uh, to, to heal and go through treatment and so I think I sort of had that switch quite quickly. Mm. And then that enabled you to feel comfortable in your own skin? Uh, probably not comfortable in my own skin. So that took longer. That took mm. a lot of, um, you know, uh, I guess therapy, journaling, energy healing, kinesiology, uh a whole lot of stuff that I did whilst I was going through treatment because what started to come up as I was going through treatment was a lot of past grief that I had not dealt with um, because of drinking. So then I realised, oh, my gosh, I've been repressing grief from 20, 30 years ago that I haven't actually processed. And Mm -hmm. so as I was going through, you know, cancer, 
even these questions, it all started coming up and I wasn't drinking. So there was so much to work through and manage, you know, including my first major, major heartbreak, you know, at the age of 20, 21, I had, I had not dealt with that. And so that like hit me like a sledgehammer. Um, and yeah, I started to, you know, write some letters to people from my past that I wanted to reach out to. And I guess I felt like I hadn't, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I hadn't really worked through some of some of these relationships and some of these emotions. Mm. That was part of the journey as well. Yeah, it's such a. There's so many ways in which we heal, you know, and it's such a broad. It's like a, the whole, the the emotional, the spiritual, the physical. It all has to kind of come together, and it does eventually over time. And so people that are listening that are feeling uncomfortable in their own skin still know that it will come <laughs> and it does happen. And I, I know in myself and Ash and people I work with and people I talk to every day that are going through sobriety, it does you do get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Just have the faith that you will if you if you, you know, as you do the work, as you slowly but surely chip away and and deal with the the past griefs and and everything that's sort of there um you do start to become more confident and more comfortable in your own skin i was talking to my sister today just just this morning about um you know seeing a therapist because i see a therapist she's incredible she's so amazing and we deal a lot we deal a lot with like yeah just childhood stuff generational stuff um all sorts of things and I just think that having a therapist as well is so essential in healing. Most of us who have had a problem with alcohol, there's a reason why. And so trying to chip away at that too, there's no, it doesn't make you weak or it doesn't make you, there's something wrong with you to go and see a therapist because it's been such a huge part in my journey now. Like the next part of my healing over the last 12 months has been working with this amazing psychotherapist to just really on a cellular level, like you talk about, you know, feeling like emotional releases in the body. It's so incredible. So that's something too, if you're feeling really uncomfortable, reach out to a therapist because, you know, it all helps, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's 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 hard to do it on your own. Like do mm. support um, and you have to, you know, find something that feels, feels right for you as mm. well. And mm. I think, you know, one of the other things that's important is, the discomfort is actually part of the healing um, mm. and it's really important to just to accept it. So when we resist the discomfort, mm. that's when we get stuck and so it's actually about kind of embracing it in a way and this is what I did with my breast cancer experience when I was, you know, diagnosed and going through treatment, you know, there's this resistance that, you know, really hold you kind of constricted in a bit of fear and why me and why has this happened? But once I let go of that and realised that there was an opportunity on the other side of this, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I felt like I just had to step forward into the unknown and just be okay with that. I think it's similar to our relationship when we're drinking, when we're stepping into sobriety for the first time. It is incredibly uncomfortable 
and we're not going to be ready. We're not going to feel comfortable. You know, this is the other thing that can hold people back. They're waiting for that perfect set of circumstances. Mm. It's not there. It doesn't come. Um, we we do that, you know, one step at a, one day at a time. You know, every day is another building block that we're putting into this incredible, you know, tapestry of a um, alcohol free life. Mm, yeah. Also, what you did for yourself, you know, you had the, you had the choice, like you said earlier, when you got the breast cancer diagnosis, you were like, oh, can I do this whole alcohol free thing on top of this? But what you did is you gave yourself a fighting chance of healing and also to come through and get to the other side and also then still make the choice to not go back. You know, it's like for some people that go through a big, a big health crisis or a mental health crisis and then they, they get well and then they go and start drinking again because they feel like they're okay. It's sort of, to me, it's like shitting and it's like shitting on the universe. <laughs> the universe yeah. has given you a gift of firstly, it's presented you with an opportunity to change and then, then you get the healing and then, you know, then those people that want to go back there, it's like, but you were just given this beautiful opportunity to change and how can, how, like, I think there has to be a point where we go, okay, I've got myself into this situation. What do I need to change? So I don't end up back in this situation again, whether it's with a cancer or a mental health diagnosis or just feeling fucked up. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me what became very apparent was I had this kind of unique set of circumstances. You know, I'd been this, you know, chronic binge drinker. I'd had this diagnosis of breast cancer. I'd decided to stop drinking just before I had that diagnosis. I felt like, you know, my body knew before I did that there was something coming and I needed to prepare for it. And then I mm. even had this intuitive, you know, I think I spoke on the previous podcast, this intuitive kind of download when I was in the shower, the morning I found the lump in my breast that told me to go and look at my body in the mirror. And that was when I, you know, I saw the, saw the, you know, the dimpled skin. And I think what I, I guess I really tapped into was that I could use this as an opportunity to, you know, to help others to to sort of I guess actively advocate in both the alcohol space and the breast cancer space and try and bring these two you know passions of mine and lived experiences uh to to make changes and so that's that's what I'm doing that's actively what I'm doing all the time uh I've just um I've just finished filming um uh, you know, part of a lived experiences campaign with the Federation for Alcohol Research and Education where my uh, they've come and, and filmed my story, which is about binge drinking and, and breast cancer. So I'm really proud of that, that I've, you know, created that and that will go out into, um, you know, it'll go obviously out through their channels, but hopefully we'll be able to do some media around that as well. And, um, you know, there's part of me that you know, you've got to put yourself out there and it's it's vulnerable and sometimes it feels um, uncomfortable. But um, I think for me I'm committed to doing that now because I know that the lives that it will impact and change uh, is, is, is important and that's kind of why, why I'm here, why I've gone through these experiences. 
Well, it makes you think that it was all worth it. Yeah. You know, everything that you've gone through and been through, as hard as that would have been, it makes it worth it when you're then going on to help other people to maybe not get into that situation or to be able to support other people that are going through that situation perhaps that makes it so worth it that it wasn't wasn't for no reason, you know? Yeah, I, it, absolutely. And look, some people, and I, I completely see, you know, they go through their, their health crisis and go back to their kind of, you know, their lives and they don't want to do anything more. And that's absolutely okay. I completely understand. But for me, there was this genuine passion and desire to do this, to do more, to really advocate in, you know, both the alcohol uh, breast cancer link and also you know in the self-check um kind of breast self-checking kind of awareness and education as well um so you know i've developed some products that you know promote that too and so they're really my two key areas um i mean obviously um i you know i'm an alcohol coach as well and, and i love that work that i do and that you know specifically is also you know with binge drinkers for the majority of my clients are who are you know people who identify similar um, to the type of drinker that I was. Mm, absolutely. And it's that it's that lived experience that, you know, you can really help people because you've been through it. You know, it's such a great gift. Would you say that the breast cancer diagnosis and even having that kind of issue with alcohol, would you now look back and say it was a gift? Yeah, completely. Absolutely. I, I would um, I see it as that. I see so many positives that have come through it, um, both in my relationship with myself, but also my family and my, you know, professionally and the people that I've met through the choices that I've made since. So I, I absolutely do. Um, and, I, you know, you talk to people who go through all sorts of different, you know, traumas and, you know, sometimes obviously there are such traumatic experiences that there aren't any silver linings and I completely get that. But um, for me through this experience, there have been there have been many, but I also think you make a choice as well and I think I, I made the choice to do that, to see that, to, uh, to push myself forward in that direction as well, um, mm. knowing that, you know, life is... You know, I turn 50 next month, September, and I'm I'm so great, you know, so grateful to be turning 50, like more grateful than I would have been 10 years ago. And you know, obviously being sober as well, and you know, looking at how I'm choosing to celebrate that milestone has been a really interesting opportunity as well. You know, there won't be any big parties. Um because I'm sort of deciding I'm doing smaller things, smaller, more intimate, more meaningful celebrations. You know, my 40th was a big booze up. <laughs> my 50th, obviously, there, you know, it won't be at all. Well, now it's just that with, and with good reason, just that gratitude for actually being here. Like how many people get to their 50th and like, oh, no, it's my 50th. And then also then go and celebrate it by having, you know, so much alcohol and having this huge party. But what if we were to get to these milestone birthdays and for one, just have gratitude for being here, just for the gift of being alive. Oh my gosh. 
and to be able to celebrate in a way that's really meaningful, not just pissing, you know, pissing it up the wall. How will your birthday look? So um, I, you know, I've got a few things planned. I'm having a like a a, lunch, a beautiful lunch with, you know, my husband and sons and mum and dad and brothers and their wives, which will be really gorgeous. And then I am having a, like, I guess it's a women's circle, uh, you know, celebrating 50 years of life living um, and, yeah, that's just a really special group of, of women who have been, I guess, really integral in my life in the past three years um, and mm. the version of myself that has come through uh, breast cancer and is no longer drinking. It's been, and it's about where I'm at now and, and the future. Um, and so, you know, I've gathered t- together a group of women and we're going to have an afternoon of, you know, sound healing, a beautiful circle where we share our own wisdom. I gift them with um, some beautiful words and um, it's really about me being able to give back to these friendships and to these incredible people um, and just some nourishing food and, and tea and just lots of love and connection. You know, it's about mm. connection and conversation and uh, I have a beautiful woman who's going to facilitate the circle for me. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then. How thought, beautiful. What a I beautiful know. way to spend your birthday. Oh, my God. I know. It feels just, and I, I've just found the venue this week. It's this beautiful little urban retreat um, about 15 minutes from my house. A, a beautiful girlfriend of mine introduced me to it. And as I walked down the path, I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, there was beautiful Buddha and all these beautiful green plants and the woman who greeted me has this amazing backstory she's um you know she's a yoga teacher and she is also um an Ayurvedic therapist as well but it just you know how sometimes everything just comes together and you're like yeah Mm. this is the place this is where I need to be for that for that celebration and so yeah, turning 50 feels, um, it feels like an absolute, if, look, it really does feel like a privilege, but I'm also so grateful. I really am. And, you know, we, we do throw that word grateful around, but I absolutely am. I mean, we don't all get to live to turn 50. Um, and I have a number of people in my life who haven't. And so I think, you know, remembering that and knowing that every every day, every year that we have is really um, something to be very grateful for. And for me, I am. Yeah, absolutely. When you when you've actually faced death, and we don't realize we're facing death every day. The second mm. that we wake up, we're facing death, but it's not as in our faces sometimes as when you get given a breast cancer diagnosis. But I tell you, like I can't imagine how it must be just to have that gratitude just for life. But imagine if we were to go through our lives really contemplating death and contemplating our own mortality and how lucky we are to be here. Just the the mere fact that we're living and breathing on this planet and have connections with beautiful people. I mean, how differently we'd probably treat ourselves, the different kind of interactions we'd have with people and the different ways we'd celebrate our milestones. You know, if you only had a week left to live, I wonder if you would get completely smashed off your rocker. Some might, and that's fine, but some might choose to have a really meaningful interaction with people that fill their cup. And I know that's what I would be doing. Yeah. I mean, that that's such a you know beautiful reflection, Danny, because I know what came to me when I was going through breast cancer was, you know, alcohol actually 
takes us away from being present in our life. You know, it numbs us. We are not as as present. There's like this kind of force field that keeps us, you know, just st- just back from actually being in life and in our emotions and, and connected to ourselves and others. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, that is one of the main reasons why I will not drink again because I want to make the most of every bit of my life now that it's coming to question and that I didn't know how long I was going to have and I still don't know how long I'm going to have but you know what I want to be present in all those moments apart from when I'm asleep of course but I want to be present I don't want to be blacked out drunk I don't want to be spending time and energy worrying about my drinking and that's what it's like now. You know, every every day you are, I am so present. Um, and even in the shit, the shit bits that come up, you know, just mm-hmm. you just allow it, it and you move through it. You move through the shit bits. And on the and other the part of it, the part of that kind of the goodness too, you know, even though it doesn't feel that way at the time, but they are part of what make us who we are and we can be strengthened from them rather than looking back and being like, oh, my God, that was terrifying or that was too hard. But actually that made me stronger, just like what you've been through. I'm sure, you know, I can tell, I can hear when you speak and it's obviously made you stronger. I think with alcohol, it's like we're only, you know, we're only half present at that time when we're drunk. And then the next day when we've woken up and we're hungover, we're only half present. And we don't know how much life we've got left. We don't know. We could be, you know, death could be around the corner for any of us at any point. And like you say, every day, is a precious gift. So I, I, I know for myself, I don't want to waste a day half living, mm. being half here. I want to get the most out of each day. And for me, that's the connection. It's being outside. It's, it's the connection to myself, to people around me, to nature. That's just so beautiful. And that's one thing that alcohol takes us straight out, straight out the door is that connection. It does. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't realize that until Mm. we have another way of living to compare it to. And that's the thing for me that uh, you don't know until you try and experiment with a different way of living. Uh, And, you know, I, I offer it even to people who don't necessarily have a problem with their drinking there's still a dependency on alcohol in in most of our lives that is sort of just under the surface even if you're only having a glass of wine um, each night and you know challenging yourself to actually go to that party and and maybe just don't drink for one night and see what it feels like see whether that you know challenges um your you know, your ability to enjoy a night. Um, you know, I've spoken to some of my friends about this. It's just a really interesting experiment to just see how mm. reliant you have become on it um, in all aspects of your life. Uh, and it's so, you know, I think it's just so courageous and brave when people are choosing to, to look at it and make changes because it, it, it is uncomfortable, but there's so much incredible, um, you know, joy on, on the other side. There really is. Yeah, I think anything that you need, like if you're feeling like I need this drink to get through this party or I need this drink to get through this Friday night or I need to put mascara on to go down to the shops, <laughs> whatever it is, like challenge it, like see what it's like to not do that thing and see what comes up for you. 
it's a pretty good way in to seeing where your insecurities mm-hmm. lie. So if I need to put mascara and eyebrows on, which I do to go down to the shop. <laughs> so when you said that about mascara, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I like what's I the insecurity? put it on before I go to the gym, but not that anyone would really know that I've got it on, but I have to put a bit on. <laughs> Mate, I put it on to go out to the fucking watch the sunrise in the morning just in case someone sees me <laughs> without my sunnies on because I'm a redhead. I've got no eyebrows. It looks like I've got a really large forehead without, <laughs> without it. But I have done the experiment where I've said, okay, I'm not doing it today and I'm going to go down to the mm. shops without it on and without the sunglasses and see what that brings up for me. And for mm. me, it's like oh, I was worried about what how people would see me and how they would judge me and what would that what was that bringing up for me it was an amazing experiment didn't mean I'm walking rocking around without my eyeshadow and eyebrows on now or my eyelashes and eyebrows on now but it was a really interesting thing for me to see where my insecurities were and mm-hmm. can I work on that yeah I'm still wearing mascara now just by, by the way <laughs> but and it's the same with alcohol so it's the same thing right it's the same thing with anything that we feel that we need try and take it away if just for a day you know, mm. for one event and see how you feel with without it and what's it bringing up for you because it's very interesting. It absolutely is very mm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Kath, tell me, because it's all well and good and I'm, I'm always really um, aware and I don't want to sound like, especially when we're years down the track, it could, because it does become so much easier and we can be in this kind of this kind of mindset of life's so much better and it's so easy mm. and we feel so comfortable in our skin and all the rest of it. What was one of the greatest fears that you had before you gave away the alcohol, before you stopped, before you stopped drinking, before you made that choice, before the breast cancer diagnosis mm. though? So in that six weeks mm. before, what was one of the fears that you had about not drinking? I think one of the fears I had was my, you know, the impact it may have on certain friendships and relationships in my mm. life because mm-hmm there was a lot of drinking in a lot of those situations and a lot of those relationships so that was that was i think one of my one of my fears that it would impact those yeah and so then obviously you decided fears aside i'm doing this anyway tell me how it did and being completely honest how did it affect those relationships yeah it's interesting uh there have been a couple of relationships that have really uh struggled um you know with some two very close uh old friends um who it's been yeah really hard i've there's been almost like you know a heartbreak um for me with um you know one of my oldest and dearest friends who we just have not uh, a relationship just has not been able to endure through um the last few years we are we are still friends but the connection that we you know had for over you know 40 years is very different now um and you know i i think it's because we in the past when we were both drinking there was a lot of focus on kind of the negatives in our life and the things that weren't working and um, mm. I'm not in that headspace anymore. Mm. And there were also, with my husband and I, there was a really not a great, we had a very dysfunctional dynamic for a long period because he was also drinking in a way that wasn't 
um, wasn't healthy that led to other not very healthy behaviours as well. And so that is no longer a part of our story either because he chose to stop drinking a year after I did. So he's now been alcohol-free for two years. So there's a lot that's changed in our life and that's, you know, I don't have that those same kind of negative things to talk about. Um, so it has, it, it, it absolutely has impacted s- some friendships, but in a way I've just sort of started to work through that and, you know, I've been able to let go of it in the last few months even that, you know, I, I absolutely love both these people. They were really important in my life, but our lives have gone in different ways and I have attracted in new friendships, new people, um, and that's okay. Uh, we don't always have people alongside us for our entire lives. And I also had to take responsibility for my own choices. You know, I, I, I've chosen this life. I've chosen where I'm at. And in a way I have chosen to uh, probably let go of these relationships a little bit as well. And so that even for me, you know, trying not to blame others for what's happened, it's actually this is where this is where we're at. And and becoming, you know, turning 50, there's a whole lot of stuff emotionally that goes on, I think, as you're a woman, you know, all this uh, wisdom that you have accumulated over your life, you really start to feel a lot of power in your own choices and what you want to do with the next phase of your life. You know, you've spent a lot of time looking after your family and looking after your kids and doing a whole lot of nurturing. And then it becomes more about nurturing yourself, I mm. think. Um, and so that's what I see this next phase of my life as, as being nurture, you know, really nurturing myself and um, and these, this power of the collective, you know, feminine as well. I just think, wow. There's so much boiling under the surface there. It's exciting. Mm. And I think that you're setting yourself up so well for that next, the next part, you know, after 50, the way that you're choosing to celebrate your 50th birthday. And I just think that's such a great way to start the next chapter is, you know, by really nurturing those friendships and nurturing yourself. I think it's so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. And I agree. I, I can I could see how relationships can change in that way and just accepting that that's okay. It's okay that they change and it can seem so big and so scary and it's the last thing you ever want to happen. But unfortunately it can happen. I'm I'm really lucky that a lot of my old friends that I've had for years, there was a time of adjustment, I'm sure, but mm-hmm. they're as strong as ever. You know, we probably don't see each other as much because we're not getting together to to drink on weekends. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more separation there. But actually, I feel like that's a lot. That's a, Ash and I were talking about this the other day. It's so much healthier than seeing the same people over, you know, all the time and, you know, doing the same stuff and the same conversations all the time. And now we were having a beautiful conversation with this couple the other day down when we we're having coffee and like, God, we must get them over. And that they don't drink. One of the guys, I'm going to get him on the podcast, hasn't drunk for 50 years. Wasn't a big drinker, but he's a motivational speaker and writes books and like a fascinating guy. Now, before I would never would have been open to having someone like that over because I would have thought, for one, they don't drink, too scary, and no, I don't want to get all deep or whatever. But now we were like, we must get them over and have a barbecue. I don't want to have them over every week. 
No, but then you get to have these times with people. I had some other old friends turn up. There's a beautiful musician. He's from Mexico and an old friend, and they dropped over a few weeks ago as well, and he doesn't drink. He got a facial paralysis. He was a heavy drinker, and then one night it was like he had a stroke and his face got paralysed, and then the next day it kind of come back. It came back to, but he decided that's it, I'm not drinking anymore. But anyway, having the most beautiful time with them and playing music together and we just had a beautiful time and now they've gone again and I probably won't see them for God knows how long, but it was really beautiful and you get to, I don't know, there's something in this sort of sobriety where you get to really enjoy these rich moments with people Mm. rather than this groundhog day and then realising that that's like, and that's sort of how I want my relationships to be, these kind of rich, authentic but I don't want you on my doorstep every, every two weeks watching the same YouTube clips because that's so fucking boring to me now. And I'm just so glad that I've let that part. And like you have got to that place as well, Kath, where you're like, it's okay for that to not be anymore. And it's okay to close the door. And I still love those people, but I can invite yes. other stuff in. And like those people you're celebrating your 50th with, you said that people haven't even known that long. No, some of them, no, some of them, yes, but some of them, no. Um, yeah. And that's the other thing. It's it's really about, it's about quality. It's about connection. It's about mm. how you feel in relationship with someone. And that changes mm. over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I've noticed. It's about how I feel when I'm with people. I'm much more able to actually gauge that now when I'm not drinking as well. When I'm enjoying conversations, when I feel someone's listening and interested in me when I am as well, uh, when it's sort of a, a conversation that is, um, you know, both people are having rather than someone talking at you. You know, this for me, I'm much more, you know, when I go to parties, of course, because I'm not drinking, it is about the conversation and connection rather than focusing on the drinking. Mm-hmm. And so I do find that I am more interested in meeting and talking to people and hearing about them and, you know, the questions that you ask and that kind of thing. And so, I, you know, I, that's what I love. I love and I've always loved learning about people and talking to people. But, of course, when I used to do that after I'd been drinking, it wasn't a great version of myself. It was one who used to talk over people and talk loudly and not Me really too. listen and be quite, you know, didactic and um, just, yeah, uh, overwhelm you know overbearing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah me too yeah I can totally relate I'm sure most people listening can relate to that as well yeah 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 you you never you that kind of richness of that connection is so beautiful and and reflecting thinking about your beautiful body Mm. and how you used to treat it and even with the interactions that you had with people how does it land for you now how does it feel to think about like being at your 50th and how you're going to treat your body, does it give you a sense of, what does it give you a sense of? Oh, it gives me a sense of, um, yeah, I mean, I think even thinking about it, I just, I can feel the tears welling up my eyes. There's just this deep sacred relationship that I have with my body now. I'm just so grateful for what it's done in the last three years. Um, and it's given, it's been a real privilege to sort of go deeper within it and to really thank it for like the work that it's done, you know, the healing that it's enabled me to invest in and to 
I guess even just the messages and I'm able to hear from it now, like I listen to it and I give it permission to talk to me, like I'll ask a question, you know, my body will respond. So I think I have a a relationship with my body now that is much more, you know, respectful. I give it space to, to tell me what's when it needs rest. And look, I've just been through the last few weeks where I've had this awful virus my body was saying you've got to stop you've got to slow down and so you know what I looked at my diary and I cancelled about four things that I had on and I hopped into bed at seven o'clock on you know each night I was still doing some coaching um but even then I you know cut my workload back and I was like yeah that's me listening and doing what I need to do to look after myself whereas in the past I just push on through you know or probably drink you know like drink to anaesthetize whatever was going on and so I really do um yeah I love that I have that ability to really I guess it's deeply listening um and and providing space if you don't provide space to actually listen you don't hear and you miss the messages and I think that's what I realized I I've not been allowing any space to listen to my body uh, and our bodies are constantly giving us information um, and we have to slow down to hear it. Otherwise, it then becomes we only hear it when it becomes something like chronic pain, you know, breast cancer diagnosis, whatever it is. Um, there's constant little messages that we're hearing. And so I, I'm very much more alert and aware of those now. Yeah, that tuning in all the time with the body and asking, I love what you said, you know, asking the question and having the conversation with my beautiful body. It, you know, to tell me what's going on and what it needs. And much like you, I've, I've sort of freed up my schedule and actually next week, except for one day, I'm taking a week off because <laughs> I need to, because my body was telling me you're doing too much. You need to chill out a bit and listening. But when we're drinking, we're not listening. We're drinking through our tiredness. We're drinking through sometimes sickness, you know, we're drinking through it or we're not listening to our body. Our body's sending us having the conversation but we're not hearing Mm. just like what we're not hearing when we're drunk and we're having a conversation at a party with a person we're not hearing what our body's telling us so it's just so important to keep tuning in to your body and like you said ask it what do you need right now what's happening what's going on with us right now yeah absolutely and I mean you know circling back to the whole you know I, I guess conversation around you know our breast health and and breast cancer and you know the the conversation around alcohol consumption again this is just an opportunity to to ensure that people have have a bit more information but also to to check in with your body just to keep asking how is everything feeling uh, even with breast health it's also about you know making sure that we are undertaking regular self checks and that we do um, feel and touch our own breasts and make sure that we're we know what our breast tissue feels like and that we're doing that a couple of times a month you know in the shower um, lie on your bed and you know you just use I mean I just use the three you know the pads of my of my fingers and you know you, you kind of go under your arm and all over your breasts and then you know up into your collarbone but just you know getting into a regular practice of of yeah of of 
of enjoying being in your body and feeling your body because um, you know we're the only we're the only ones who really know what's going on there. Um, and if we feel that something's not right, that's when there's a real you know it's an opportunity to go and you know go to your trusted health professional, whoever that may be, and and just yeah ask ask some questions. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know any even if you're choosing to have you know one or two less drinks a week, you know, this is, this can have an impact on your overall breast cancer risk. And so it's not about saying you must quit drinking, uh, you know, if it feels right to have, you know, a couple of less drinks a week, then that's a, that's a really positive um, decision to make. Yeah. And I think there's something really beautiful in checking into even maybe before you have a drink, okay, do I really need this drink? What does my body need right now? What do we need body? And just having some gratitude for our beautiful bodies and this beautiful life that can be taken at any minute, any, any time of the day, you know, it can be our last breath. And so I really, and in talking to you, I really just get that sense of just to have that deep gratitude for ourselves, for our bodies, for our lives, and knowing that smashing ourselves with alcohol and bad food and being around toxic people, you know, bad choices, the way that we talk to ourselves, everything that comes in, everything that with the way we treat ourselves to be a really loving choice and love what we have been given. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes we don't appreciate how much of an active choice we have in some of these things. We kind of let stuff happen uh, because Mm. we don't slow down enough and stop and listen and you really do need to there there's been you know in this modern life it's all been about being busy and keeping ourselves doing 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 and when you step back and you actually allow yourself to to be and to slow down that's when so many gifts come up and I mean that for me I I didn't enjoy slowing down I found it really confronting because of course when you slow down the thoughts that you start to think a bit more and you start to do, you know, you, things come up for you that you maybe don't want to face up to. But, um, you know, again, for me, that's where a lot of the beautiful, incredible learnings have been in some of that, you know, as discomfort as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, one of the questions I'm asking in this season is getting people to check in with their body so that people listening can then also do the same. So Kathy, if I was to ask you what's happening in your body right now, what's your body trying to tell you or, or what are you feeling in, in your body? Right now, my body feels really quite relaxed, actually, because mm-hmm. I think we've had this beautiful conversation. And so my nervous system feels really it just feel I, I feel I I feel kind of in a really content state right now. I feel good. My mind's not racing. I'm just really present in our conversation. Uh, the only thing that I can feel is I have a tight lower back, and I went to the gym this morning, and I can feel that my back is a little bit tight. Mm-hmm. So, um, I what's the back to- trying to tell you? <laughs> It needs to be stretched and it needs a bit of love. It needs some nice warm compress, I think. Yeah, it needs, it actually, I need to have a break from the gym is what I need. I need to stop running. There you go. 
Beautiful. Said that conversation. I'm not going to go to the gym tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Needs to rest. And and for people listening, I'd say just take a moment to tune in, take a breath, and what's going on for you right now? What's your nervous system trying to tell you right now? What's your body telling you? Is it sending you any signals? What emotions are showing up? Good or bad? And can we just be with them? And just see asking the question of our body. What do you what do you need right now? What are you trying to tell me? I think that's really beautiful. For me right now, I'm feeling same, Kath. I'm feeling content, connected. I feel happy and a bit thirsty. Mm. <laughs> Actually, I'm also a bit thirsty. I haven't been drinking enough water. I can feel yeah. that as well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but how beautiful, you know, to connect and just to stop and ask the question regularly. Know throughout the day what's happening. I mean, it's such a powerful exercise to do. It it is. It's so simple, so powerful, so beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. So much information there. But sometimes we don't even know how to do that. You know, it takes some time and practice um, to even kind of listen and see what comes up because we haven't done it before. Often people, I can't feel anything. I don't know what. What do you mean? Um, And it, it, it comes. Sometimes mm. our body's in a bit of shock because it doesn't know. Or, or I'm being asked, what, what? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But keep having the conversation. Stay open. Keep listening, you know, and just checking in with yourself regularly I think is a really beautiful, great thing to do. And then we get out of that state of having to react. We don't react so much. We're actually taking a moment to stop. So, Kath, before we go, hit me with a little bit more information on on breast cancer, links with alcohol. You know, what have you got for us that's, you know, super compelling? Yeah, so I guess um, if we're looking at Australian statistics, we don't have a lot of new statistics around, you know, breast cancer and alcohol consumption. But if we're looking at the overall um, numbers, so around around 20,000 people are diagnosed with breast cancer each year and the majority of those are women and we can attribute about five to ten percent of those cases to directly to alcohol so in australia we're looking at about one to two thousand cases of breast cancer per year which is a lot Mm. is a lot it is and I think the other thing that's really compelling is that I was actually just looking, I was just reading this um, this study in the National, I think it's the National Library of Medicine 2021. I can give you a link to it. But it's about, it's, it basically talks about the media reporting of breast cancer and alcohol in Australia and the impact that that's had on the low kind of awareness and why because the media's not been reporting it or not not it, it, the media's there's lots of mixed messaging in the media about breast cancer and alcohol and alcohol and cancer you know there's some studies that come out and say that you know um that you know red wine is you know is actually not so bad for us and that it, the reservatrol you know and we we saw with the human po- podcast that he talks about 
this, you know, this is kind of misinformation that's out there that gets mm. printed in mainstream media mm-hmm. and even with breast cancer as well, just the use of, you know, some of the language around it that basically questions whether or not there are, you know, there are enough studies or research to provide a direct link. So people are often very confused about whether or not there is. And I think the really important thing for me to say here is that there absolutely is. There are so many, there are over 100 studies that prove a direct link between alcohol consumption and increased breast cancer risk, full stop. Mm. Uh, And any amount of alcohol that we drink increases that risk, full stop. The, The statistics around what that risk is that varies, but if we are looking at what, you know, what I've seen out there, um, there's a great campaign that's come out of America called Drink Less for Your Breasts. They've got an Instagram account, which is really fantastic. Their figures generally report that seven drinks a week increases your breast cancer risk by about 14 to 15%, your overall breast cancer risk of about 14 to 15%. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 it's not a lot of it's not a lot of alcohol really. No. No, it's not. Um mm. and I guess, you know, the other thing to to mention is that, you know, if you are, you know, concerned about your health and you do want to reduce your risk of breast cancer, other cancers, other health conditions, uh alcohol <laughs> is you know it's a class a kind of carcinogen it's a poison it's ethanol it's not doing a lot of good in our body um you know i think the other thing that i found really interesting in that huberman interview was talking about how alcohol is both water and fat soluble which means Mm. it can get into and cause damage to so many cells in our body every every cell it can yeah. actually affect every cell because of its ability to yeah. pass through the, the cell membranes. Yeah, mm. so that for me was information where I just think when you know that, it's like, yeah, well, whenever I'm drinking, there's a possibility that it's really causing damage at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And every time I choose not to. And I think with breast cancer, um, you know, if you if you are a woman and you are worried worried about your drinking and you are worried about your breast cancer risk, it's 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 definitely an area that you can have some control over that can reduce your risk. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if like I said earlier, if you're going to make that choice or if you're worried or concerned, well then think don't don't make the decision out of fear, but out of love and one of of really loving and supporting my body. I want to love and support my body more. Therefore I choose to drink less or to cut it out altogether. Yeah. And I think the language that we give to our body is so super important. So I love that you're making this point, which is the way that I chose to look at it when I was going through my my treatment. It was about what is the most, um, you know, empowering decision I can make for the health of my body right now. It was to choose not to drink, choose to continue this alcohol-free lifestyle. But I was giving my immune system and my body um, the greatest chance it could to, to heal itself and get better. And that felt really good. I didn't feel in a deprivation mindset. I felt like I was 
in more of an abundance mindset. And this is this is how we change our way of thinking of of coming into that that abundance mindset. You know, with with our choices around so many different things. Yeah, absolutely. And even just reflect, I just reflected there for a minute on Olivia Newton-John, who's just passed, unfortunately. What a beautiful, beautiful human. And and someone argued with me the other day, they said, well, it didn't do her any good, you know, her clean living, but it did. What a beautiful human, Mm. a beautiful advocate for for taking care of yourself. And yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. And look, she she went through, um, I think she went through three, she got three different diagnoses of breast cancer over her experience, but lived with, I think she went into remission after her first diagnosis and then um, was diagnosed with, you know, metastatic that, you know, she worked through. But really she lived for, I think it could be up to 30 years with Mm -hmm. some form of, um, you know, breast cancer diagnosis, which, is a testimony to her because she did a lot of work in that kind of integrative health space as well. She mm. supported herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think she was an incredible, incredible advocate. And, um, yeah, I think particularly for people in the breast cancer community, provided a lot of hope as well to those who are still, who live with breast cancer um, because you you can have breast cancer and live with it for many years as well yeah absolutely yep 100 percent. kath elliott thank you so much for for coming on and, and just having this conversation i think it's a really important one to have and i think you're amazing i think you're such an inspiration and i just love your work if anyone wants to reach out to kath they can contact her through it's the alcohol mindset coach yes that's on instagram absolutely. I'll yep. also put links in the show notes for people to be able to contact you. And as I said, you've got your own amazing coaching business as well, helping people through the alcohol journey and and more. And I just think you're incredible and just keep doing your amazing work. Thanks, Danny. I just, yeah, I've loved our chat. I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity um, and, you know, connecting with you. And I just love when we, from when we met, you know, last year, to having seen you in person this year at another event. You know, it's just really beautiful, these connections that we form in this community and that you have this platform that you give people to to share uh, their stories in this community and help this community. Um, yeah, you're doing amazing work. Thank you. Mm, thanks, Kath. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon, mate. Bye, Danny. See Bye. You. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.